There are actually six laws in Ohio. Um, five of them are what we call status offenses. So you do something that is illegal, and then just because you are a person living with HIV, you get punished harder. If you believe we can change the narrative, if you believe we can change our communities, if you believe we can change the outcomes, then we can change the world. I'm Rob Richardson. Welcome to Disruption Now. Welcome to Disruption Now. I'm your host and moderator, Rob Richardson. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about uh, a hard subject, but one that needs to be talked about. We want to talk about what it's like to live with HIV, but most importantly, I won't say most importantly, but also challenging on top of that is what happens when you have laws that uh, that make it harder for you to live with HIV in an already difficult situation? What happens when you have uh, laws that empower uh, law enforcement to uh, target and go after you, but not necessarily help or serve and protect? Well, that's what we're talking about with uh, laws, unfortunately, here in the great state of Ohio. So, uh, And we want to talk about what these laws uh, have done. Um, how we need to change them and how they really affect the lives of really uh, of, of ordinary people and why we need to be more thoughtful in how we really go about uh, legislating laws and how we need to be more intentional about creating laws that empower people and, don't, and, that, and creating laws that don't seek to make people go underground, feel ashamed, or not actually do something that would promote their health or, the, or promote the general health of the public. So honored to have this esteemed panel with me, a team of individuals looking here uh, to, to have laws that actually help and empower people and, um, and, and help us have a better state and move forward here in the great state of Ohio. So uh, good to be here and I'm glad to have you on. So uh, let's see, where should I start? Kim, I want to start with you to really talk about these problematic laws that are in Ohio and how they got to be here. So we have laws in Ohio that essentially criminalize one uh, for having HIV and make it very hard uh, for you to actually go forth and uh, you have, let me back up. When you, when these laws actually are, are crafted in such a way that they put you on trial and make the person that has HIV in a lot of situations uh, have to prove that they are innocent uh, instead of actually, uh, instead of the state having to prove that, that that person has done something wrong. Talk a little bit about how these laws actually came about and why they're so problematic, Kim. And then I want to actually talk to Jerry about what he thinks about this law and personally having, having, a, having a personal tie to understanding what uh, people that are living with HIV are going through. So, Kim. So, Rob, uh Back in the late 90s, early 2000s, because there were a couple of iterations of these laws, um, the Ryan White program wanted each state um, to put into effect some sort of, or something like these laws. Um, pretty quickly, they realized this was a mistake and they withdrew that, but the laws were already there and have never been taken away. Yeah. Um, the science has changed significantly since these laws were passed. Um, at the time, we didn't know as much about how HIV is transmitted. We didn't know as much about what, um, you know, we didn't have the medications that we have now. I mean, now if you, some people, most people can reach what's known as undetectable. And when you're undetectable, you can't transmit uh, the virus sexually. Um, but the, the laws, there are actually six laws in Ohio 
Um, five of them are what we call status offenses. So you do something that is illegal. And then just because you are a person living with HIV, you get punished harder. Wow. Um, so, and then we have one that has to do with, uh, don't, um, with uh, harassment with a bodily substance. Um, so while that is illegal, um, it, then you're, uh, penalized more. Yeah. I actually think I meant to talk about the donating blood and um, yeah. uh, organs. But, but, but hold on, hold on, before, before you get yep. to that, I think it's very, very important. You made a very important point, which is a, a problem with our criminal justice system that I think is worth mentioning, that we create laws as another incentive to put people in jail or put people in jail longer. And I think we are obsessed in this country with locking people up. And it's a big problem that's costing us a lot of money a lot of resources and it's and it's uh and it, and it really drains potential opportunities from people because it's very hard once you get into the system as i call it to get out so you have these laws that are adding additional penalties that are not necessary that are not protecting people and it's the reason why i forgot the stats for ohio but i know the stats for the united states of america we, we incarcerate more people than any any country in the entire world more than china more than russia Name your country, name the totalitarian country, communist country, whatever you want to call that country. United States, the land of the, of the free, right? We lock up more people than any of those, uh, any of those countries. And that's because of laws like these. Yeah. Well, I think, it's, I think it's really important to understand where things like this come from. And there's a couple of places where it comes from. One is fear, yep. fear uh, of, you know, when HIV first came out, there were people in the hospital where I was working who wouldn't deliver food to patients in their room. They would leave it outside the door because they were fearful that just being in the same room, they might catch something. So fear often drives people to do strange things. But there's an additional motivation, which is... And fear, you, fear never drives politics, though, right? No, I'm kidding. Go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, yeah. So there's an additional aspect, which is that underrepresented populations and populations that lack political power are often subjected further to that fear mongering when laws are created. Because when, when can we remember that, uh, you know, very wealthy uh, corporate white businessmen will be charged with a criminal offense for any reason? When you think about, you know, whereas you're sing singling out a group based on a characteristic I'm being a little tongue in cheek when I said that group, but there's a reason why, because when you think about those people who are originally identified with HIV, yep. it was originally people from Haiti, men who had sex with men, which in and of itself, there were many criminalization laws already on the books for things that are biologic and and people cannot change their own biology. And then you had others who had had blood transfusions or hemophiliacs. 
it was very uh, eclectic group of people that were suffering discrimination, but fear was really driving it. And fear then drove these laws that people were saying, okay, and, and there are many diseases, by the way, as an infectious disease expert, there are many diseases that can be transmitted between people. And frankly, respiratory diseases, which kill many more people every year in our country, are far more contagious. Influenza, COVID, things like that. Let, let, let's, let's hope the country is a little more informed on that point of view. But uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a but criminalization just because you're you can transmit a disease is is really the basis of where this all came yeah. from. And it was based strictly on fear and lack of understanding. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, fear is the is the is the least productive and the most destructive emotion when it comes to 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 legislation or human nature in general, right? But it's also the most logical. It's people understand where it comes from. Uh, Doc, before I go to Jerry, how do you navigate? How do you navigate through that though? Like, how would how how can we how can we learn from We'll talk about what we need to do to change the law. I want to get to that. But how can we learn from what happened here and not follow, not, not follow that, that path of letting fear drive our decision-making as a, as a community, as a country? Well, I think that people who are uh, healthcare providers and scientists are familiar with uh, diseases as things arise, need to do a much better job of communicating to the public right away in a very clear and easy, understandable fashion what we know and what we don't know. Uh, and, and, and to try to address people's fears directly by making sure that we answer those kind of questions directly and that we don't put any sort of political spin one way or another on it. Yeah. People will see through it. I think that's what we really have to do going forward uh, and then try to help be the voices of reason managing through fear. Yeah, I think it's very, I, I agree with that. Uh, and uh, I won't go too much down the tangent on this. And I want to get to Jerry. I also think it's very difficult given the state of, how people get their information now to really do that. Uh, Cause I, I do think some doctors, uh, if you look at what happened with COVID attempted to do that. And somehow when people discuss facts, they were suddenly labeled as one side or the other, even though you were discussing the absolute facts. So that's my, that I agree with you. That's the approach. I just, I just think it's, we got, we're gonna have to figure it out how to do it in this process. So Jerry, I want to get to you. Um, you, you have HIV uh, you, you, you're um living through this. Uh, and, uh, and, and so what, what, why do you want personally, I think, to see this law change? What would it mean to you? And just talk about your personal narrative through this, uh, through, through what's going on right now, right here in Ohio specifically. Well, I've seen a lot. I've been HIV positive for the past 34 years. And I've seen, I can remember when these laws came out. Um, and personally, I think uh, if the laws were to be changed, it would create more. Actually, you wouldn't have such a witch hunt the way you have now. And it's also adding to the stigmatization of HIV, because I know for a fact many people will not get tested because of their status. They know what their status is. They have some inkling of a status. 
And uh, if they feel if they get tested and they know what that status is, that they're going to be further stigmatized. And there are, you know, people are vindictive and they will uh, say, for instance, if someone is HIV positive and they had sex with them and will call the law on them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's it. It's it's so you, you make a point that people wouldn't. So if they get tested now and they know their status, uh, then they can be quote unquote prosecuted if someone reports them and, and, and allegedly says that they told them that they didn't have because then you got to you got to prove that allegedly said uh, didn't right. disclose that they had it. But if they right. let me ask you this. So if they don't get tested and don't know, then it's OK. Is that the law? Is that the is that the that, that's what people think. I which mean, is crazy. Way, yeah, that's which the way incentivizes that, you yeah. not to know. Right. And in my discussions with people, um, I used to be an HIV prevention educator uh, for a number of years. And um, and I used to talk to people honestly about my status, you know, in group settings and, you know, the need to get tested. And many times people would tell me, why should I get tested and be put at a risk? of, you know, possibly going to prison because somebody knows that I'm HIV positive and I had sex with them. Yeah, which is, which is, which is uh, a one point understandable, but another point very frightening because they can also shorten their life if they don't have the medication uh, that they need, right? Because uh, as the point that Kim made earlier, which is something that, you know, I I, kind of knew, but didn't really know the fact that we, we, we've, the science has gotten to such a point that you can live with HIV and essentially not transmit it to your partner uh, is, is, is something that I still don't think a lot of people know. So I think there's a lot of education that has to be done in this area. Uh, and we can save a lot of lives. I mean, that's what it comes down to. This is a, this is a law that is, that is penalizing people for having knowledge and taking care of their health, uh, which is just, which is just uh, asinine and really just uh, backwards. Uh, so Kim, I, I'm I'm curious to see what, um, what what parts of the law what what does a good law look like in terms of other states we can model from and and what should we be implementing here as a better example? Number of states have taken different tactics on this. We we believe that two two important things. One, right now, transmission doesn't actually have to occur for you to spend years in prison. I know somebody who didn't transmit and is spending 40 years in prison. Uh, wait, say, wait, 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 say that again. So they did not transmit the virus. Okay. But they're still in years. prison for 40 years. Like four zero, 40 years. Four zero. They're in year 17 of 40 years. Oh my yes. God. So yeah, then, so transmission should be part of this formula, right? The other thing is, is that you should have to prove that the person intended to transmit. Um, and that is usually true in Ohio law. That's proven kind of backwards. Like if you can prove you took measures to prevent transmission, then you can't have intended to transmit. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Okay. Yeah. So, but, that, but that's not, none of that's taken into consideration. No, it's, it's, not. Just, it's just that if you had it, and, and the person allegedly said that they didn't know, you can go to prison. Yep. And we have much. women who are kept in domestic violence situations because they're being told, if you leave me, I will tell the police that you didn't tell me your HIV status. We have people never had a physical relationship with somebody being uh, attempted blackmail. Like 
if if you don't give me this money, I'm going to go tell them we had sex and you didn't tell me you were HIV positive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what was this like? So what's the, what is the reasoning now? I'm sure you've approached legislators um, here. Do they get what is their reasoning for maintaining this law or or not making changes? Like what what do they give you? Um, a lot of people still think this is a gay thing um, and 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 get confused as to who they're trying to do this for. Um, it's I mean, most people, when you explain the science, like if we sat down with Dr. Carl and somebody, oh, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, but I think they are concerned about their constituents and that their constituents haven't heard from the doctor um, and may not want them in office anymore. Yeah, well, they're scared of the political ad that's running against them to say like, oh, they did this law to say to take away protection from you. And it's there, there, there's that. I mean, so I guess I guess we saw this through through really empowerment and uh, education, because I can see how this can be difficult on a lot of fronts. Right. You it's it's I mean, you don't necessarily have you can have really uh, uh, avenues where on both political ends where people might not want to approach it because it's not a it's, a, it's an uncomfortable area to approach, but I think it's very necessary. So uh, how do you see, so what's the road forward? Like, how do we change this? Adam, you have, you have a, you have any thoughts about what we need to do to change the narrative that is out there around these laws around HIV? Like, what do you suggest? That's a really big question. Um, but, uh, you know, I think it is through education. I mean, people are afraid or nervous about things that they don't understand. And, you know, if you look at the general population, their knowledge of HIV is what it was 20, 30 years ago. It hasn't changed any. Um, and people don't understand the progress that we've made in treatment and prevention and that HIV is not this horribly scary thing that we have no treatment for. And um, I, th I think a lot of it is based in that. And I think also being able to show that people living with HIV aren't scary. They're just people like everyone else. Um, and there's just this whole fear attached to the virus and then attached to people that are living with it, which is completely unfounded. Um, so I, I think it's a lot of, of, of educating and the hard part is, and Jerry, I think knows this because as he mentioned, he did a lot of education for a long time is it's, it's hard to get people to listen and it's hard to sure. get them to look at something with fresh eyes that the media for decades and movies and all of this stuff has really been kind of like, you know, almost performative around yeah. HIV so long so it's hard for people to see past that it's like i feel like when when you talk about drug use like I, i'm really immersed in um a, a, a exchange efforts in this in the state of ohio and stuff for the past several years and it's it was a similar thing you know people when they hear drug use they picture you know somebody that they saw in some movie in you yeah. know an alley somewhere or whatever and it's like well that that's not how this looks no it's your neighbor it's your cousin clearly right and a lot of people, I've had a lot of people over the years tell me they've never met anybody with HIV. And that's just not true. If you haven't met anybody with, if you don't think that you've met anybody with HIV, then the person in your life that has HIV just hasn't disclosed to you because they're probably afraid to. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, and and there's a reason they would be because of the stigma that's attached to it. So, uh, uh, Dr. Carl, uh, so I'm wondering, uh, we've talked about letting medical professionals lead the way. How can, what do you think the role medical professionals can play in shaping the laws and changing the narratives here in terms of uh, focusing here and, and working as hard as possible to uh, be Switzerland on the political end while still moving, well, while still moving the needle forward? Like, how, how can the medical profession help with that? Well, I think that we need to be part of the solution. I, I don't know that we necessarily need to lead. Um, you know, I think folks like Jerry and Adam and others in the community should really be leading, but there should be a cadre of us who are healthcare providers who are providing support and information. We should be willing to talk to our legislators and explain the situation to them and try to help them see why doing this makes uh, perfect sense. Um, and we should really teach them the science behind it so that we can remove the fear and remove the criminalization. I look at this very much like the Me Too movement. You know, uh, years ago, it was perfectly fine to discriminate against women and harass them sexually, and people thought it was okay. Now, you're persona non grata if you're somebody who does that. Uh, and, and we need the exact same thing here for the HIV criminalization laws. We need to be able to free people who are living with a healthcare problem through no fault of their own to be able to access the care that they need without fear of repercussion, to be able to live their lives, not be in a situation where somebody could take advantage of them, blackmail them, or or worse, um, I've had uh, my patients beaten up by their intimate partners when they find out that they have HIV. And I've had lots of conversations about disclosure with my patients, but I truly understand how difficult a conversation that can be, particularly when you're talking about somebody who's not a medical professional trying to talk to somebody else and there's a personal relationship that's going on, that becomes a really hard conversation to have. I mean, just think about it. The reality is how many of us really have a truly intimate, open, free dialogue with our partners about X, Y, or Z? Uh, a lot of times we keep a lot of things to ourselves because we don't want our partners to think what, this way or that way about us. Sure. But now you're adding criminal stakes to it, and that's just flat out wrong. No, I mean, agreed. Um, and just thinking about how we move forward from here and how do we on, 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 a, on, on a really, on a, on, a, on a ground support level, on a grassroots level is the word, is the word I'm looking for, Kim. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we've talked a lot about the, the, the people on the ground like Jerry and Adam should lead, but what are the, what are the triggering points for, the, for, for, for those in, in charge of our legislator? I think some things I can think about are this, this, the, the costs, you know, I, I wish you could say the moral point of view, but you can also talk about the cost. How much does this cost the state in terms of people that are in prison that shouldn't be? How much does it cost the state in terms of healthcare costs that would be reduced by prevention? 
how much do these things tangibly cost the state uh, in, in a way that affects economic growth? How much does this uh, affect us in a, in a way that people want to come to the state too? Because I say like, you know, people want to be in states that are, uh, this is not only an LGBT uh, uh, disease, obviously HIV uh, affects everyone, but the stigma is that you're talking about people that are just, uh, that are just LGBT. And I believe that a lot of people in, in the LGBT community want laws that are, that make sense, that are about protecting people. So it also, it also makes us, I think, uh, it, it's sort of like a black mark on the state, but how do you go about like talking to legislators to get them to see this in a way that connects with their values? That's, that's kind of my first question. I have more, but what do you, how do you go about that? Well, first you need to talk to them. <laughs> that's true. So with your listeners out there, you know, when you have the opportunity to talk to your state house rep or your state senator, that's the law we're trying to change is at the state level um, to tell them that you think that the HIV criminalization laws need to be, tell them they just need to be modernized. We're not talking about getting rid of it entirely. We're yeah. talking about modernizing them, bringing them into the scientific present. Um, but I think, so I think, Legislators need to hear from folks in their districts that it's okay for them to support this, right? That they that you want them to support it. I think it's important to talk about fairness. We talk about um, uh, you know over incarceration. You write about the price of this because also there's the cost of putting somebody in prison. There's the cost of their medication while they're there. Yep. Um, so there is a significant cost to the taxpayer to for in um, putting uh, people living with in prison. Um, there is talking about, um, you know, that everybody deserves the right to lead um, a life where they're not looking over their shoulder constantly. I hear stories about people that they're worried about how many years ago did, the, did I have this relationship that's now going to come back to bite me, all right? Um, maybe that was the wrong way to phrase that, but that it's just a concern for people that, that just talking about being able to live your life to being able to be an Ohioan to um, access healthcare. Like we have people who cross state lines to get tested because they don't want their neighbors to see their car parked mm -hmm. in the, you know, HIV testing facility. Um, and so that's a, that's a thing I suspect that Cincinnati deals with. And we know that we have other border cities that, that have that same situation, that people should be able to access health care where they live um, yeah, and I not agree. face that stigma. Um, but I think, you know, people like Jerry uh, talking and telling, you know, the impact on not just people who are uh, um, arrested under these laws, but people who are worried they're going to be arrested yeah. or that they could be, especially since made up stuff can put them in prison. Yeah. Uh, uh, Jerry, as we, as, as we get ready and, or, 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 and, or Adam, as we get ready to, uh, as we get to kind of wrap up, I want to, I want to get to both of you and ask you this question. What's the most important thing you want our listeners to know about this law or what you just want them to know in general? What's the, what's the most important thing? I'll go with you, Jerry, first. The most important thing, know what the law is. And if it, uh, in order to change it, you know, you have to communicate with your uh, local legislatures uh, at the state level. And it's possible anybody can get in touch with them via email. 
And I encourage everybody to get in touch with their local uh, officials and uh, to make some changes. Yep. Adam. Um, I just wanted to say real quick, the economic piece too. Sure, sure, sure. In addition to what Kim was saying, also think about the person she talked about who's been sentenced to 40 years. They're Mm -hmm. not contributing anything to the economy when they could have. And, and hopefully they will one day and they'll get out and everything. And, you know, there, there's so that's a whole unknown cost that we can't really quantify is what are we taking away from these people? And what would they have otherwise contributed to the, you know, the everybody's always worried about the economy. So what could they have already otherwise contributed? Um, and it's something that follows them around for a long time. You know, these are we're talking about felonies here like that is going to follow you for the rest of your life. Some in some instances, people may need to register as a sex offender. And then that I mean, how does that ruin your life? You can't all these places you can't live and you have to disclose that to your neighbors. And as part of disclosing that to your neighbors, you also are disclosing your HIV status. Like there's a lot wrapped up there. Mm. Um, But I, I think in addition to what Jerry said, the and I think he's right, like I've been surprised over the years at how responsive if you send an email or call, they actually are. They will email or call you back. Um, it might be their staff, but they will. They want to hear from their constituents. Um, so I think that's a really big point. And then the other big one for me is just looking at it through a lens of fairness, like what what Kim talked about. Like, I don't know how any reasonable person can look at these statutes and say, yep, that's fair. That That is fair because it's it's clearly not so no agreed dr carl final final words here yeah i mean i think as we move into this uh next decade and we think about how we want to treat each other one of the better things that we can do are to remove laws that just don't make sense and people are always talking about oh We have too many regulations, things like that. But these are laws that really affect people's lives. They're criminalization that's unfair, not based on any science, and they need to be changed. Yeah. Well, to to, to conclude on your final point, we are so quick as a society to add criminalization laws and so slow to add any other type of regulatory laws, but we want to move quickly on things that affect the personal liberty of individuals. We need to really, really take a look in the mirror and ask, is this how we want to be going forward or can we be better? And I know we can be better. Uh, that's why we have this show. Uh, and that's why we commend all the great work like uh, everyone we have on this panel is doing. We want you to keep doing the work. We're going to have information uh, in the in, in, in the bio. So you can you can click on uh, you can click on the, uh, the, the, the links in this, in, the, in, this, in this episode to learn more about how you can help, how you can contribute. Everybody can do something like it's uh, when there's any type of injustice. I, I say this analogy all the time. It's like a it's like a wall that's sit that's, that's there. And every one of us has to take a dent. And sometimes it takes 100 dents. Sometimes it takes a thousand dents. Sometimes it takes 10,000 dents. But when it's time for that wall to come down, it comes down. It takes all of our hands, all of our muscle, all of our efforts to make that happen. Uh, so let's keep disrupting. Um, let's keep empowering. I appreciate everything that all of you have done and all the listeners, uh, please do your part. You're, in, you're here in Ohio, go out, send an email. If you're not in Ohio still, go out, send an email. Those things uh, get the attention of legislators. It takes us collectively 
coming together to make a difference. Thank all of you uh, who, uh, who listen to Disruption Now. You can always find us on disruptionnow.com. Find us on YouTube or anywhere you watch podcasts. Thank you so much.